I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word to our hearts, to our souls, to our perseverance in the faith. Father, thank you for the wonderful foundational gift of our faith, of our lives, your spoken word recorded in Holy Scripture. So to that end, please help me be faithful to what is before us in this one verse. And so let us think well about what is written and how it's written. But we're hopeless, Father, if you don't move beyond that and cause our hearts to love it and to see it. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit and your holy work in us to the glory of Jesus Christ. The only name under heaven by which any of us must be delivered, saved from the wrath to come and unto the joy and the treasure of being children of God. Amen. Since we've entered chapter 7 a few weeks back, we know this is the chapter. On faith, it's the faith chapter. It's all about faith. As he began in verse 1 when he said, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. And last week in verse 6, Without faith... It is impossible to please God because whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. And so we're going to see that definition of faith unfolded and lived out in many different ways throughout chapter 11. This morning, Noah. Noah has something to teach us as Christians. In other words, about what our saving faith is. Faith is a, it's a grasping trusting of what God has said. 
And He has lavished us in the Scriptures and through the Gospel with unimaginable good promises. Come unto me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you eternal rest for your souls. Faith grabs hold of those promises. And faith, it also believes and grabs hold of the promise of judgment. Faith flees the judgment to come precisely because it believes in God's promise that it is coming. Most everybody knows the story of Noah. It's cute. You can go to the store or to Amazon.com and buy Noah's Ark and little animals and Noah to go in it. Or you can get on an airplane and go to Kentucky and pay the museum price to see a replica of the ark. But how many take the story to heart? The warning of Noah and the ark and the flood to heart. Our text this morning teaches us that a crucial lesson from the Noah story is that in order to, to be saved from God's coming judgment, a person must have faith. Faith in the promise. In the promise that judgment is coming. Now, before us, it's one verse, long sentence, but a simple text. And it shows us three crucial things. It shows us the basis of our faith. In other words, the foundation of saving faith is. Secondly, it shows us the effects of those who have come to faith. And thirdly, it shows us the end result of faith. Of all the examples in Hebrews chapter 11, this is the only one in which the unseen future that they believe in involves judgment rather than rewards. It shows us that the promises of God, they're twofold. The promise of judgment, of God's wrath and anger, because He's holy, which is coming, and the promise of deliverance and joy and fulfillment in His salvation from that wrath. Saving faith takes into account 
both God's warnings and his promises of unimaginable joy and bliss where he delights forever, according to Paul in Ephesians 2, to unfold the unfathomable riches of his mercy in kindness to all who have come to spiritual life, evidenced by their faith in Christ. God brings judgment after many, 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 many warnings that it's coming, but still many people will be shocked, surprised when it comes because they ignored his warnings. So first, what is the foundation of Noah's faith and thus our faith? He's a model. Or the foundation or the basis of faith. Because faith doesn't just bloom out of nowhere. There's no such thing as, I have faith in this. In what? I don't know, just this. Then that's not faith. You have trust in what? There's got to be a content. And the text is clear. It is Noah's faith, and the basis of it is God's word. He spoke. And faith either believes what he says or it doesn't. Noah believed God's word about the coming judgment. So the point of the text is God's word of warning. It concerns, as he says in the text there, things that are not seen. And that's how he began chapter 11. Now faith is the evidence in you. Because that's a gift of God. By the Holy Spirit. Evidence of what? Things not seen. But you know how true they are. Not only was the judgment of killing every human being on earth, except Noah and his family. Not only him promising to do that through the flood of rain. Not only was that... When Noah heard it, at least 75 to 100 years away, it was unseen. It wasn't just unseen, it was crazy. It was unprecedented. That just doesn't happen, Noah. One commentator puts it this way. The far-off flood was more real to Noah than the shows of life around him. Therefore, he could stand all the jibes and ridicule and gave himself to a course of life which was sheer foolishness. Unless that future was real. And that's the question always to all of us. Are you being saved like Noah? Has that, that faith happened, sprung up within you? 
back in 1981, the reality of an unseen, promised, impending judgment that awaited me became terrifyingly real. So much so, I found myself in the ark, in the loving arms of Jesus, my Savior. And that faith, that biblical faith, brings, births a new direction in life that looks foolish. Like you're wasting your mortal, finite time. Unless it is foolish. Unless God's promise of resurrection, heaven, glorification, and all the worries about the divine wrath and judgment which is to come, unless those things are real, then it's anything but foolish. But like Paul said, but to those who are called Christ, the wisdom of God and the power of God. Noah was filled with wisdom though he was treated as a fool. Faith does not live for this world. It lays up treasures in heaven, as Jesus said in Matthew 6. Because if the resurrection of our bodies in the future and eternity with God salvifically through Jesus Christ, if that is only a myth, then, by definition, according to the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, we who call ourselves Christians are of all people most to be pitied. Why? Because the gospel, the message we believe in, it makes you, like Noah, a nutcase. So you say things to college kids on an evangelism table on the university about a judgment which is to come. And like Noah's time, more and more do we live in a time in this country where you sound like a nut. You say things like, Human sexuality and sexual practice is only to be practiced in the covenant of marriage between a male and a female. And there are only two sexes. You're a nut. But believers in Jesus will die for those statements. It's like the world with Noah. A flood? 
You're kidding me. What are you doing these decades? What is that? A big boat where there's no ocean in sight? He's a nutcase. You believe in heaven? You believe in a future literal resurrection of the body into immortal human life just like Jesus? You believe Jesus really was resurrected from the dead? You actually today in the modern world believe in hell, a Gehenna, a metaphor for the judgment which is to come? Get real. I mean, you're going to waste your hard-earned money and your time and your life on that? As the text says, yes. As yet unseen. It means God's word of warning is delayed. But it is absolutely certain. And the faith that was exhibited by Noah, it doesn't make the mistake of interpreting God's patience as uncertainty of what is to come. Noah could have thought, this is 7,500 years away and just procrastinated the building of the ark. But he didn't do that. As soon as he heard the word of God's warning, which is to come and his command to build, you know how we know he had faith? We saw it. He acted. He obeyed. He began building the boat. And it took him somewhere close to 100 years to complete. And all the while, he was mocked. He was ridiculed. He seemed like a nutcase. But there came a day. It came. And there's another day coming in front of us. There came a day when it all began to make sense. As the heavens opened in the rain began to pour and pour for 40 days and for 40 nights. But then, for the others, it was too late. The Apostle Peter, he tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, hear him clearly. Knowing, first of all, Christians, the scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, ridicule, mockery. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, quote, Where's the promise of His coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the very beginning of creation. And he goes on. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. 
that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. But He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And the Lord Jesus, He put it this way. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came swept them all away. And then Jesus ends it with these words. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Interpreted, so it will be when I, Jesus, return, come again. The people around Noah, they lived only for the pleasures of the world and ignored the warnings until it was too late. Noah was different than they were. How? That's the whole point of Hebrews 11. One thing. Faith. He had the faith that saves. He believed what God said. Here's a promise. It's a delayed promise. Get to work. And Noah was certain of what he could not. See, the least popular thing to do in Noah's time was to believe in God, to believe in the Lord. Genesis 6.5 puts it this way. The Lord, or Yahweh, saw that the wickedness of mankind was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the world, like in Noah's time, today is godless. And Noah, in the midst of it, was told to build an ark, a boat. One and a half times in length the size of a football field. With no ocean in sight. And he's a laughingstock. Other than his family, he had no support. And what produced this life? Answer, faith. 
And the basis of that faith was what God spoke. As Paul would write to us, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. The basis is faith. Notice secondly, the effects of that faith. Verse 7 again. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, there's the basis, here comes the effect. In reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. His faith was the means to his salvation. Because it's what moved him, notice the text, to a godly fear. In other words, this kind of faith, the faith that saves, is the kind of faith that changed his or changes our internal working. And those internal workings is what changed his external actions. That is the effect of the faith that saves. Noah, I'm fed up and I'm right. I am holy. And I am just. I'm going to kill everybody on earth. Build an ark. And he did. Saving faith is not just a head issue. It is a heart issue. To be moved by faith or godly fear it is the life energy of our deepest yearnings. And so Noah wakes up the next day and begins a long process of building an ark. On one side of the coin of saving faith, it is the joy of being delivered from impending judgment that we all deserve. On the other side is a holy fear of, what would it mean if I live my life as if that's not true? Oh, don't want to do that. It would be a terrible thing. Faith in God's clear promises and His directions. Build the ark. It acts. It changes behavior. Quote, in reverent fear, Noah constructed the ark for the saving of his household. Noah lived by faith. That faith, in other words, in God's promises and commands, he obeys it. Build the ark. What it shows is this, that faith alone, apart from any works of the law, 
which is the faith that saves, that faith, according to the writer to Hebrews, is of the very nature of it results in a change of conduct, which comes from, not external, but internal, a changed heart. That's why Jesus' brother James said, faith that does not result in works is dead. It's not saying, well, that's a dead saving faith. He's saying that's not what saving faith is. It's not genuine. Noah could have said, yeah, yeah, sure, I agree with that. I believe that, you know, God's going to one day judge the world through some terrible flood. But if he did not build the ark and then get on the boat, he would have perished in the flood. In order to have himself and his family saved from the flood, Noah had to believe. He had to believe in such a way that the thought of not acting on what God told him to do is not an option. So he builds. All right, so first we've seen the basis of faith is God's word. And the effects of faith are first upon our human hearts. Holy fear, which produces obedience. Which brings us to the third thing. The result of that faith is salvation. Verse 7 again. By faith, Noah... Being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Now, the text does not tell us whether the rest of his family were spiritually, like Noah, saved. So maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But they at least believed enough in Noah's message to get on the boat. So one thing to infer from that is that Noah, as a dad, as one who, it's the other place besides Enoch in Genesis, which says, he walked with God. Noah's faith, in other words, had a powerful effect upon his family, upon his kids. As Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that's a proverb. That is not an absolute promise of God. Proverbs are general truths of wisdom. And we see it happen in Noah's life. By faith, Noah's life, Noah's words, they also look at the text. His faith condemned the world. 
by this, the end of verse 7, by what? By the faith, he, Noah, condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. In other words, he condemned the world in the sense that his life of faith exposed their unrighteous behavior. Genuine faith in the hearts of people, then and now, irritates the heck out of those who are walking in darkness. Because the faith of Jesus' people exposes their sin as sin. Why can't you just be like us? Noah, why don't you be like us? Why are you building a stupid boat? That, that's silly. Why can't your kid, why can't your child play at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning in his baseball game? Are you a nut? Do you care about your kids? Why do you go to church every Sunday? Why do you go to home group? Why do you evangelize college campuses? Why do you pray and read your Bible so much? Why do you evaluate your culture and make stances on what the Bible says when the culture is directly against it? Answer? according to Hebrews 11, is because God exists. That's why. Not only that, I'll tell you why. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That's why. By faith, then, it says next, Noah became an heir. An inheritor of the righteousness, literally in the Greek, according to faith, which comes by faith, which means he became an heir of righteousness that is the righteousness, by definition here, that was not his. It, he was given that righteousness. He inherited it as a gift. The righteousness according to, or in other words, that comes by the means of faith. See, righteous, righteousness, or the, or the Greek word, the verb, dikaiao, means to declare righteous, or you can translate it justify. It's all the same word here. Or, or the adjective dikaios, righteous, often used substantively as a noun. Or, or dikaiosune, the noun, righteousness. It's used two ways in the Bible. It's, it's used of Christ, perfect, 
human righteousness throughout his life that he lives sinlessly, which is then taken by God and imputed, meaning put to the credit of or the, ju the justice account of the elect who all come to faith. And so by their faith, God takes Jesus' righteousness and attributes it to them as if they lived in perfect, positive obedience and righteousness to God. That's Romans 3 and 4, clear and throughout Paul's letters. And that's what he means right here when he says, Noah became an heir. He inherited, and we'll see the next time with Abraham, he inherited that declaration of God, justified, righteous. It's the same righteousness Paul is talking about when I do not seek my own righteousness by my obedience to the law, but I seek a righteousness which comes from God. Righteousness which is given to me as a gift through faith in Christ. That's the way he means it here. The other way that righteous is also, also used, it is through human conduct. That, oh, that's a righteous conduct there, and that's unrighteous here. But as a whole, it is that righteous act or conduct that flows out of the fact of that person has first been declared righteous by faith. So, for instance, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, we read this line. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. In comparative to the time of this world as a sinner from Adam and Eve like all of us. He was a righteous man. And then this line, Noah walked with God. He was born again. And in a way, you know anyone is born again. The evidence is faith in God, in His promises, walking with Him. So in Genesis there, he is referring to the way Noah lived and acted, which flowed out of his being declared righteous. By faith. So, just as the ark of Noah, it was the only means of salvation from God's judgment which was going to come. So Christ, Christ is the only way that God has provided for any human being to be saved from himself. From his coming judgment on the whole world. Everyone who was on board that ark of Noah was saved from that judgment. Everyone who was not on that ark 
perished. You're lost. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that whoever will get on the ark will not perish. But they will be resurrected and have eternal life. So as I'm closing here, listen again to the apostle Peter. When he says in 2 Peter 3, For they deliberately overlook this fact. That the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that, that then existed was deluged with water and perished in Noah's flood. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist on this side of the flood, they're stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And so through Christ, God has issued a clear warning. A category five hurricane of judgment is heading toward every sinner on earth. And the door of the ark is open. Come in. That's what you guys do at the evangelism table. Come into the ark of Christ. And each one of us must always evaluate. Are you on the ark? Have you fled to Jesus for salvation? That's the gospel. That's the message of Jesus' church in the earth. And those who scoff at that warning, if they don't come to repentance and faith, they will perish forever. Those who believe the warning and that Jesus himself has constructed the ark of salvation they will be saved from judgment unto inherited, gifted to them, perfect righteousness to stand before their Creator now and forever. How does that come? Text is clear. Believe by faith in Christ and His work perished on the cross in human death as the punishment for sin. God raised him from the dead. And then he ascended. And he will come back. He will be the second flood of glory 
of salvation for all who are in him, the ark, and of a terrible judgment. It comes, this glorious salvation, by faith, trusting God's word. That's what we mean when we sing, my faith or hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Father, you're good. And as I began this service, we look to your loving hand of all whom you are saving. And we see, along with the Apostle Paul, you did not hold back your son, but you delivered him to become a human being and delivered him up on the cross for all of us. And as we sang this morning about your sovereign hand, we know that even the providence that brings tears will work together for eternal good to all who love you, who are called to your Son, Jesus Christ, according to your wonderful promise. We thank you for this, and it is on your Son, in Him alone we stand. Amen. Let us stand.